we're going to continue in our uh, Ephesians series. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, uh, can you just raise your hand and we'll get you a Bible? If you've forgotten yours maybe or it's, it's, uh, we want to get that to you. And if you don't have one and we give you one, then you can keep that one. And uh, as well, uh, we have little booklets, so sermon booklets that we're going through through this series. It's called This Is Us. And so if you don't have one of those yellow booklets and you want one of those, if you just raise your hand right now and we can get you one of those as well. So if not, let's turn to Ephesians 4. So we're looking uh, today at verses 7 to 16. So let me read this aloud and then we'll dive into it together. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So once again, Paul has given us like the longest run-on sentence on earth. Any teachers here are probably dying as we read this. He's broken like 50 rules, I'm sure, here. And in here, it is packed, though, with grace. One thing that is clear and succinct and true is he's speaking of grace. And so if you are in Christ today, one thing we know for sure, and from Ephesians 4, is this, is that you have been given grace. That each one of us, in fact, has been given the same grace. And this is true, amen? If you're in Christ, you've been shown grace, hey? We know in Ephesians that he says, if you go back a couple verses, he speaks of this, this common grace to each one of us in Christ. He says that there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. And so uh, this is the grace that's been shown us, but it's also true in what, that there's um, varied gifts of grace that are given. And Paul zeroes in on this here, that each one of us in Christ actually has a specific gift of grace. That's amazing. Specific gift of grace. Look at verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. So particular to each one of us, yes, common is salvation and Christ and the Spirit, but particular to each one of us. Hear this. If you're in Christ, you have a gift. And so the parallel passage to this, or one of them, is 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 6, Paul speaks of this, this truth. He says there's varied, a variety, sorry, of gifts but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of service, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so here's what we know, is you've been given a specific gift in Christ, and when Christ gives a gift, he gives it for a good reason. When Christ gives us a gift, whether it's salvation or particularly a specific gift, it's no different. He doesn't just toss out gifts. It's not like um, maybe I, I uh, married into a Dutch family and uh, Opa and Oma, right? They give out droppies, those salty candies that don't make any sense, right? It's not like that. We just give them out. Why? Because we're Dutch and it just happens that way. He is given specific gifts of grace and it's for a reason and it's for a good reason. And so before we look at the reasons, it's important for us to uh, make some observations. And I think that's what Paul is really doing here. Before he gets into the reasons for giving us these gifts of grace, it's almost like when you open a present, you know, as kids, and your parents are like, whoa, 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 and you go to run off and just take the gift away, and the, your parents say, like, well, just, just look at it for a moment. Just, like, look it over. You know, just enjoy it, right? That's kind of what Paul is saying here. So we're going to look at three observations today, 
of what's been given, and then three reasons for why they've been given. So the first observation of this gift given by Christ is this, is observation one, the gift you've been given is correct. It's correct. Verse seven, he says, it's given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the gift you've been given in Christ has actually been measured off, and this idea is um, almost picture like cooking, like there's an amount taken, and it's like this is what you need. Okay? It's Christ takes and he measures it in a sense and says, here you go. It's, it's, you ever heard the phrase before or the term, you know, measure twice, cut once? Yeah, it's not that. It's, for me, it's like measure three times, cut twice. So he doesn't do that. He measures it off, and he says, this is right. Even like cooking again, it's like this is the amount it needs. It needs a little bit more salt. It needs that. And then for each one of us, he says, here's what you get. And so what this means then is that it is correct. And if that's the case, then, then we can never say, God, you've made a mistake. I wish I was more gifted. Or I wish I was more, and we look besides us, beside us and we say, more like so-and-so. Or... I'm just. I am just, and you fill in the blank. Because when you do that, what you're really saying is, look, you got the measurements wrong. Measure it again. You know, you got the amount wrong. It needs more salt. But Lord has, the Lord hasn't got it wrong. You've been given a gift, and it's exactly what's needed to hear this in this church. This is why when you go through the process, and, and I know in, in Harvest World, sometimes you know, we hear, Oh, it's such a process to get, to get into Harvest, to get into small groups, and you go through Harvest Welcome, and you learn about our past, and you Harvest Essentials, and you learn about our doctrine. What we're trying to do, and we tell you, and it's true, is that we want you to discern, is this the church that God would have you serve at? And the reason it's so crucial is look at Ephesians 4. Look at what we're looking at. You have been given a gift, right? And it's for a specific church, is God bringing you here? And if he has, if this is your home church, or if it's going to be, then know this. God in his wisdom, how he does this, only God can do this. But he brings us together to use those gifts, particularly in this church, and it's right. It's right, and it's needed. It's amazing. So you can't say, I'm too old. I'll just let the young guys have a crack at it this time. You can't say, I'm too different. You can't say, again, the measurement is wrong. Uh, you know, or it's weak. Here's what happens in this. If this is true that Christ has measured it off, then there's no warranty needed, right? Your, your gift is not going to become obsolete, you know, like my Walkman that I was given. I don't know if some of you know what a Walkman is. Incredible invention, okay? And one of the coolest things, next to that, you put it in your fanny pack. Two things that change the world, right? It's not going to become obsolete. God has designed to give you, gifted you so that this works until he returns, or you go to be with him. Isn't that amazing? God has measured it off. Christ in particular has measured it off, and it's not going to become obsolete. And so, hear this. What you get, what you have, is what you get. Oh, really? (laughs) No, amen. Why? Because it's right. Because it's been measured off, and it's right, and there hasn't been a mistake. And yes, you're unique. Of course you're unique. We just look at that verse, and we know you're unique, because there's been a measure given to you by Christ. And so, Observation two is this, the gift you've been given is costly. Look at verse eight. He says, therefore it says. Now, anytime I see this in the word and then I read what comes next, man, nine times out of 10, I'm like, I wouldn't have written that. Like, why why does he write that? Look at verse eight. Therefore it says what? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So here's what Paul is doing is, first of all, he's quoting Psalm 68, 18. That's where that's taken from. And in Psalm 68, 18, we hear of God's faithfulness to his people. In particular, and and Paul is saying, God descended among his people. And do you know where he descended? Psalm 68? It's on Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, he descended, came with the people, and gave them the Ten Commandments. What happened from there? Well, he takes them through the desert, he takes them through Canaan, and he brings them, ascends to, do you know where? Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where the temple is, where the idea was is that he's ascended and now the nations can come, is the idea, and worship God. And so Paul takes this and says, therefore, don't you see, this is fulfilled in Christ. You see, Christ is the one that's descended, but now it's onto earth, and he's ascended, but now it's to the right hand of the Father. He's descended, he became a man, 
He suffered, he was tempted, he was tortured, he became sin. God Almighty became sin. You talk about a dissension, there's a complete dissension. He becomes a man, let alone now become sin, that he's tortured, that he's ridiculed, that he's betrayed uh, to death. He bears our shame and our sin on the cross. And he dies. God dies. He descends. But in Christ, Christ also ascends. He lived without sin. He rose. He ascended and he sits at the right hand. He reigns and he rules. He's defeated sin and death. So he's ascended. He's done the work. He's conquered. He has the victory. So our Lord has ascended and it's a complete ascension. It's amazing. And so Paul is saying this is what's happened in the gospel. You see in in verses 8 to 9, if you count it, he mentions, he says, he seven times in two verses. What is clear is that it is Christ who has done the descending and the ascending. You see, the gospel is free. The gospel is a free gift of grace. It's free. You hear that all the time and it's true. But the gospel's not cheap. The gospel's not cheap. The gospel is very costly. The one who descended and ascended, that's at a cost. There's only one that could do that and one who did. The gospel is free, but it's not cheap. And hear this, neither are your gifts. The gifts you are given are not cheap, neither. They're not like the bonus features on a movie. I don't know if, uh, I think they still sell DVDs. I talked about a Walkman, right? So I think they still sell DVDs in the stores, yes? You can get, I'm sure you can. I haven't bought one in a while. You know the DVDs you get, and it's like the deluxe, deluxe version. It's like you've got the movie, but now you've got some bonus features, and you're like, oh, this is great. We're going to see stuff people never seen before and how they made it and all the rest of it. But it doesn't really matter to the movie. I think that's how we look at our gifting sometimes. Paul is saying without a shadow of a doubt, do not look at gifts like that. These are gifts of grace that come at a great cost, and they matter, and they are not the bonus features for the elite. These are for all of us who are in Christ. Amazing. So our gifts matter. They are correct. They're costly. And third, this, the gift you've been given is controlled. Controlled. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at back to verse 9 again. He says he ascended into the lower regions of the earth. He's not talking about hell. He's talking about earth, like low, becoming a man. He's talking about the whole thing, the whole earth. And then 10, he ascended where? Far above all the heavens, all, so the whole heavens. So in a sense, here's what Christ has done. Christ has gone high and low to earn your gift. He's gone high and low. He's kind of covered the map, so to speak, and, and he says why. Look at verse 10. He says why. That he might fill all things. That he might fill all things. What does fill all things mean? Well, in one sense, it means like an aroma. You're making some good cookies, and the aroma fills all things. Like, you can't get away from it. You smell it. It's that idea. But here's the thing. More strongly and more clear to the text, what it's speaking about is this filling all things is, is his control and his rule. You see it in Ephesians 1, uh, 22 to 23. And he put all things under his feet. This is God speaking of Christ, under Christ's feet. And gave him his head Listen, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You hear this of, in Isaiah, right? The train of his robe fills the temple, right? The whole earth is full of his glory. So here's the thing is the gift you've been given, he has dominion over, control over. And so this means on one level that he controls the gift market. Okay, you know, like uh, you've got the, the major supplier of whatever. Um, let's say it's uh, Toys R Us. You know, he's, he's got it all. He's not just like one company. He is the major uh, controller of the gift market. You know that I bought a dishwasher not too long ago, and uh, we saved up, researched, bought this thing. Do you know what I was most scared of after I bought this thing? One, that is probably going to break, and I can't believe I've done, you know, four loads already and it hasn't broken. That's one part for sure. Do you know what I was more terrified of, though? Is I didn't want to look at the flyer because I knew for sure, you know what was going to happen? There was going to be the next day, you know, once in a lifetime, only for today because Kyle bought a dishwasher yesterday. We're going to give this, you know, thing basically away 
uh, just today, and I was waiting for that, thinking, oh, no, this is, this is going to happen. Something better is going to come up. Here's, here's the thing with the gift that God has given, and he is in control of it. There's no better model coming up. What he's given you, there's no better model that's going to come up tomorrow. It's not going to become, as I said, obsolete. There's not something better that they're going to find in the back shop somewhere. Be like, oh, I can't believe that. Hey, look what we just found. Who knew? What you've been given, God has total control over. He fills all things, and then he gives gifts to men. Isn't that incredible? There's good news in this. And so why does it matter so much? Well, again, if we remember back to Psalm 68, Paul, he quotes Psalm 68. If you look at Psalm 68, it says in there, he receives gifts to men. Okay, so he received gifts to men. That's not what he says in Ephesians. And when I, when I read that, when I was studying this, I have to be honest, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Why, Paul? Why does he change it to he gave gifts to men? Well, here's why. The point is the same. Whether he's receiving gifts or whether he's giving gifts, everything is from him and everything is for his glory. That's why. And so Paul can take that and, and be like, you see the point? Whether he's receiving worship or, or he's giving out these gifts, whatever it is, it's all for him. It's all from him, and it's all to him. Romans 11 says this. It says, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who's given a gift to God that he might be repaid? No one. God's not lacking. He doesn't need our gifts. From him, for from him, and through him, and to him are all things. And to him be glory forever." Amen. So he needs nothing from us. God does not need anything from me, and he doesn't need anything from you. Yet he gives gifts to us so that he would receive glory from us. So what Christ has given to each one of us in Christ is correct. It's costly. It's controlled. And if this is all true, then the question, the question you should be asking yourself may go something like this. Lord, if this is true, and, and if I'm seeing this right, then how can I give you glory through the gifts that you've given me? If you are in Christ today, and what, what we've just looked at is true, you've looked this gift over, then you have to be asking, right? You, you have to be asking, how do I give you glory through this gift then, Lord? Your heart has to be filled with worship. It has to be, or you're, not, or you're not listening, you're not hearing it, to think, okay, Christ, you've defeated the powers of darkness, you've conquered my sin, you've taken captives, well, the first one was me, Lord, as a rebel, and, and you've, you've cleaned me off, you've set me up, you've called me a son or a daughter, you reign, Lord, you receive worship from every tribe and tongue, and you will one day. Some will not be saved, but they will bend the knee. Everyone will say who you are and worship you for who you are. You are worthy, and so, Lord, then what's your intention with me? Why would you go high and low, give me these gifts? What's your intention? How do I, Lord, bring you glory because you are worthy? What's your reason then particularly? And so, know this, when Christ gives gifts, okay, it's for a good reason. And so let's look at the first reason then. What's the first reason? Well, reason number one from the text is this, so the saints would be set up. So the saints would be set up. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, it says, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. We would maybe think of those as, as the saints, but no, 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 he gave those to the saints. Anyone who is in Christ is a saint. And what he does here is he gives us a list of church leaders. He says the apostles. Why would he say the apostles? Who are the apostles? Well, the apostles were anyone who saw Christ and then was commissioned to write scripture. Who were the prophets? Well, the prophets were those that we often think of as uh, foretelling the future, right? A prophet foretells the future, which is true. But do you know that their primary task, in fact, was foretelling what God says? Thus says the Lord. You have the apostles and the prophets, and he starts with them because they're laying the foundation they are God's gift to the church to lay the foundation to give us God's word. Ephesians uh, 2.20, you can look at that, and, and Paul said this earlier. He says, built on the foundation. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here's a supernatural gifting. God has gifted, there was only a certain amount of people in the world that God gifted in this way to be called apostles, to give us the word of God, to, to speak, to write scripture. And the same with the prophets. They say, thus says the Lord. If I say, thus says the Lord, I'm just repeating what they said. But there were those gifted by God to do that. This, and we would say, well, that makes sense. That's, that's supernatural. That's, that's crazy. But he goes on and he says, there's more. He says, there's also the evangelist. Now, Timothy was called an evangelist, but yet he was a local pastor. So it's not necessarily a traveling evangelist. It's the idea that they're reaching the lost. And then he says, shepherds and teachers. Shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers is how that can be interpreted as well. And those two words, you could almost put a hyphen between them. In the original, they're very close together. They're one and the same. See, you can be a teacher and not a pastor, but you cannot be a pastor and not a teacher. They're one and the same. And the pastor's role, the pastors that are given to the church are to nurture and care and protect and shepherd, right, direct the church. And so Paul says these are gifts from God primarily for the church, ministry of the word, and prayer. So we see that and we say, and maybe you've already checked out because you're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Um, here's the thing, is that it affects you. So it does apply. It affects you greatly. It affects every one of us who are in Christ. It affects us. Look at, notice uh, verse 11. He doesn't say he gave some in the church to be these things. Look closely. He says, but he gave. He gave. He gave our church leaders to the church. So, if you ever have a pastor that says, I am God's gift to this church. There's technically a sense where that is true. But it's funny, right? Because we know what people mean by that when they typically say that. What they mean is like, I'm God's gift to this church. Everything rests on my shoulders. I know everything. I do everything. I'm kind of it. I'm a big deal. No. But there is a sense where God's pastor is God's gift to the church, and God's leadership is God's gift to the church. Look, 12, it says, they're gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip, the idea is preparing, to prepare them. To, in even a biological sense, the idea of a broken bone. You know, you got your, your arms broke like this, it's way off, and I got two hands, that doesn't work. So you're like, why do you have two hands? So your arm's broken and it's way bent sideways. You set it in place. Why? Because that's how the arm is supposed to look. Like, I'm no doctor, but I've seen broken arms before. I'm like, yeah, that, yeah that's broke. Because it's not normal. It's off. And it needs to be set in place to be prepared kind of for action, to be functioning the way it was designed uh, to function. Here's the thing, though. You can't set someone up well if you don't know what you're setting them up for. You know, turkey season opened up not too long ago. If you phone my wife and say, hey, can you set me up for turkey season? She'll be like, I don't know. Can't actually do that. Why? She, do she doesn't know what that means. She doesn't know what she'd be setting you up really for. What is that? And so Paul says, here's what you're set up for. Look at verse 12. Again, he says, for the work of ministry. And when he says work, that word work is ongoing. Okay? It's, it's like, it's like never-ending. It's ongoing. And so hear this. This is incredible. God has given the leaders in local churches to set you up for all of ministry. Not just, you've got some and, man, they're weak and I can learn some things from them. I can get by, but we need some supplemental here. No, this is, this is ongoing and all of ministry. That, this is incredible. This is incredible. Only God does this kind of stuff. And so I have to be honest, as, as I was prepping for this uh, sermon, and I was reading through, uh, one of the commentaries I was going through was by uh, D.A. Carson. Don't know if you heard of D.A. Carson before. He's like one of the top Canadian theologians of our time. And I have to admit that there was a part of me that was thinking, why don't we just get D.A. to preach this sermon? I mean, why don't we get him, we got the technology, let's get him on the big screen and let's get D.A., just let him loose. You know, he knows the original languages, you know, He's, he's a much better preacher than me. Why would I not do that? And if we're looking at Ephesians 4 today, we'd say, because you can't. Because God hasn't designed it that way. Yes, you could listen to DA, but he's not the pastor of this church. He's not one of the leaders in this church. And incredible, 
there's such encouragement from that. God uses foolish, weak people, people that can't preach as good as DA, that are preaching this morning. God will use me this morning by God's grace. He's chosen me. How in the world am I here? I already think, like, how did that happen? I lived in Alberta. Now I'm in Brantford, Ontario. Like, how does that happen? I read about Brantford when I was, like, eight in a library. And I'm reading this book about Gretzky. And he lives in Brantford. I'm like, huh, that's weird. You know, I just want to know how many goals he scored, right? Like, how is it that God has brought me here? Well, it would appear that God has picked me, though I am weak, though I am not D.A. Carson, to minister to you. And you think, yeah, but, but, I mean, you're a pastor, so, I mean, obviously you reconcile that. Do not think that, and if anyone comes up here and does not have to wrestle with that every time in whatever capacity you're leading, if you're not doing that, I'm scared for you, but I have to reconcile with that just as much as you do. In the areas that you're leading, do you believe that God has gifted you for leadership, small group leaders, flock leaders in particular? Are you looking to the other churches and you're trying to be God's gift to those other churches? I need to be like so-and-so. I need to lead like so-and-so. Be very careful because God knows what he's doing. And he's, in his wisdom, again, has me preaching this morning. And he has you leading in different ways. This is incredible. And if you don't like how God's gifted the church, <laughs> right, you hear often, like, pray for your pastor. If you don't like the pastor, just pray for the pastor, right? That's kind of the way of just saying, like, ah, oh, stinks to be you, but, I mean, just pray, I guess. Well, hope for a miracle, Right? If he's sinning, then yes, you confront him. But if he's leading faithfully, then you pray for him a different way based on Ephesians 4. Now you look at him and you say, why would God bring this person here? Why would God bring this leader here? God, God will you help them? Would you grow them? And you look at it a different way because it's God's gift to the church. Now the Ephesians church didn't have YouTube as far as I know. I'm not a scholar, so they may have. But I'm pretty sure they didn't have YouTube and they didn't have podcasts. And so, even though they didn't have that, even if they were able to stream, you know, and, and, and get a sermon live and listen to anyone, D.A. Carson, you can listen to him today. If you got the internet, make it happen. It's, gonna, it's, it's no problem, right? Even if that's the case, I am certain that this would have still been written because God has gifted leaders for particular churches. And yes, these are great resources that we have on YouTube, but be careful. Those are not your pastors. So be cautious. You can find anyone to say what you want to say to you. God has gifted each church with its leaders so that you want to put yourself under their leadership. You want to seek them out. You want to listen to their direction. You want to be set up for ministry. So Christ has given gifts, and here's the second reason, reason two. So the body would be built up. So the body would be built up. That the saints and all those who are in Christ, all the saints, would be set up. Why? And look at verse 12. He says, for the building up of the body of Christ. As we do the work of ministry, this body, like literally a body is what we're building up. That's what we're building up. And so I think what happens is we read this. You know sometimes like you're thinking something, but you say something? This happens to me all the time. And my wife's like, uh, you just said that. No, I didn't. And now I'm like, oh, we're about to get into it. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> but I know in my mind I thought I didn't, right? And, and, and so I think what happens here is this happens to us. We read, the body is built up. But in our minds, you know what we, what we hear? What goes on in our mind? This is what happens to me. For the building up of my part of the body of Christ. We're so individualistic in our culture. We are so about ourselves. We have so many resources now we can reach out to everybody, but yet we're so about us. And so I think we often read it that way. We think of, yes, yes, work of ministry, and we think just me, 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 my ministry. And maybe you think, no, 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 I I agree. It's for everybody. And that's why I've been thinking that so-and-so should have been here today to hear this message. Right? Maybe that's you. You ever done that before? I haven't, but someone has. But that's not what building up means. He says building up, it's a construction term. 
Okay, that's what he's speaking of. It's actually building something. But he's referring, look at, what he, look at what's being built up. A body. Now, I did, um, I did taxidermy. I had like a bucket list. And so I wanted to do um, a shoulder mount of a deer that I got, that I caught. And so you can just let that hang. Um, so, God, I caught this deer. And anyhow, I had to do a shoulder mount of this thing. And so my neighbor was into taxidermy. And I thought, hey, let's... Let's do this. He's like, you get one, bring it in, and I'll show you how to do it. And so I figured it'd take me about 40 hours is what it took me. And I was able to do this shoulder mount. And what it is is a replica shoulder up to head of something that looks kind of like a deer. And you can see it if you come to my house. It was a replica of a body, of a portion of a body. What Paul is speaking about here in verse 12, he says, we together are building up the body, not a portion, and not a replica, but the body. That is the functioning, hear this, as we're building up, we are building the functioning presence of Christ, the, the, the actual like body of Christ working here with us. And so that's incredible, first of all. We've been working now as a church, we've been five years old, just about five years old, right? We're going to be celebrating pretty soon, so that's pretty amazing. I've uh, been blessed here to be a part of this for about four years, I think it's been. We've experienced the body being built up together. We've seen that. We've seen that. We've, you know, when I was doing the shoulder mount, I could see different stages of it. Here's the form. Here's, here's now this part. Here's, I won't get into it, but, um, but as you're looking at the different stages, it's just this joy and this excitement as it starts to look more and more like a deer. In this case, we've been able to see the body growing up. Five years, we've been able to see this, and we're starting to look more and more like the body of Christ. And so for some of us, uh, this was you coming to Christ. Even this last year, there's been some of you that come to the Lord. Praise God. We've been seeing the body being built up, starting to look more like Christ. Some of you have been choosing a relationship, right? Rather than choosing a relationship, choosing Christ. Choosing Christ sorry, over a relationship. Choosing Christ over security. Over financial security. Over promotion. Choosing Christ over uh, your family. And persecution that you faced with them. Some of you, it's been radical changes of the nature of your relationships that you've had. Some of you, it's been being baptized. Some of you, it's been serving with trembling out of a love and a growing love for Christ, and worship for him. And some of us, it's been being able to, 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 um, to see the growth as we've used our gifts, to see growing. I've heard some of you, you know, say, man, I, I remember when we launched, you know, so-and-so serving this way, it's so neat to see them doing this now. And we've been seeing this body take form. Others of you, it's been repenting of idols of your heart, things that you have cherished, and you repent it, you've been repenting and repented of them, and you're seeking Christ and now finding him satisfying. And the list goes on and on and on, and what, what we're speaking of there is the body of Christ taking form and being built up. But here's the thing, is this building, what I'm speaking of, doesn't just, doesn't just happen now. It doesn't just happen, you know, we got, what, like 15 minutes left? It doesn't just happen in this time on Sunday, doesn't just happen once a week. If that were the case, think about my own body. If my left foot only worked on Sundays, one thing would be true. Sundays would be a glorious day. Be like, my foot works. This is fantastic. And then, oh no, it's like Cinderella, right? Midnight hits and Sunday's over and my foot's not working again. It would cause the rest of my body great grief. I'd be miserable. And the longer that that went on, the more unhealthy I would be. And the same is true with this building up. Paul never said, and this only happens on Sundays. So make sure you're here on Sunday and, you know, be good kind of thing. This is an ongoing growth building project with intention to look like the body. And so this building uh, happens all the time. I think of Deuteronomy 6, right? Deuteronomy 6, speaking to parents, really, but you know what Deuteronomy 6 says? It gets this principle well. It doesn't say just parent your kids on Sunday. It says, it says this. It says, whether you sit, walk, lie down, or rise, you are building up the body. That's what you're doing all the time. So there's something that happens with that too. You know what happens is that that means that we have to be together. 
So yes, this is vital in church. Sunday is vital, and that once a week, that is, that is vital and commanded. But this has to happen all the time, and for some of us, we need to invite people into our homes. For some of us, we need, we need to be more intentional and, and not do the things that, we're so, uh, that I'm so easily prone to do of isolation, to be built up and walk alongside each other. We need to sit up together. <laughs> we need to be together. And then last is this, just the building is ongoing and must look more and more like Christ. And so if we're building up, it needs to look like the picture. And so the picture that we've been given, it's right there, right? It's a body. It's the body of Christ. So you ever built one of those like Ikea shelves and you're like halfway through and you're like, this does not look like the picture, right, at all? Although the pictures are brutal anyhow, so to be fair, right? But you're looking at that and you're like, yeah, close enough. No, we're not, we're not, we're not into that. With the body, we have a picture and it's clear and, and we're not content unless we look exactly like the picture. And so we're to fear what Christ fears. As a body, as a church, we ought to trust what he trusts and speak what he speaks and hate what he hates and love what he loves. If, if you come here and I just say a verse and then share a bunch of stories, you should hate that. You should say, tell me what Christ says. I want to speak what he speaks. I want to know what he says. I want to memorize it. I want to look exactly like him. That's what we're looking for as a body. So the third reason, Christ gives these gifts to set us up, to build us up, and then third and last, so that we would all measure up. So in verse 13, and you can see it there, he tells us the goal. Here's the goal. And I'll read it to you. It says, until, so we're going to do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, Again, that's a mouthful. I don't know if anyone's taken this right out and like posted it on the walls of a church as like a mission statement. It's probably not top 10. But here's what it's saying. And because it's there, right? Here it is. it is. It is a mission statement. And so here's really a summary of it. It's this. That we would be unified in our faith in Christ until we all look like Christ. Or even to shorten up a little bit more. Because we like, you know, short, quick statements. Grow up until we measure up to Christ. Grow up until we measure up to Christ. And so here's the goal that we go for. And this is the goal not just for um, the people on the, the outskirts, not just for the ones that need to kind of like pull up their bootstraps and come on, let's get in the game. Here's the goal. This is the goal for everyone. If you notice, he says, we all. Do you see that? He says, we all. So Paul is including himself. The apostle Paul is including himself here and saying, here's the goal that I am also going for. Until we all measure up to it. And so we would say these are impossible shoes to fill. Let's think about that. Okay, be, be honest about that. He's saying we're going to do this until we measure up to Christ. Well, that's going to be super deflating for a lot of us. And it ought to be because no one can measure up to Christ. So maybe what's the point of trying? Well, here's something that I think is going to be helpful to you. And in understanding a lot of doctrine within the Bible is something that theologians call the already and the not yet, okay? The already and the not yet, and that's exactly what's happening here. So the already in this verse is this. The already is that in Christ, you are justified. So in Christ, we have all already attained to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But the also, the opposite is true, the not yet. Okay, it's also just as true that you have not yet attained it, that you, and this would be called not justification, but now sanctification. Okay, we've not all yet attained to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I've said this, and some of you might be sick of me saying this, but I'm going to say it again because it's here, and I love it. And so here we go, is the already in Christ is like this. If, if this is attaining to the measure of Christ, okay, that's the bar. That's righteousness, that's holiness, that's, that's perfectly being like Christ. Where would you match up? And I love telling people this all the time because this is a gospel. You know where you match up in Christ? Right here. Right here, because if you don't, 
you're not saved because God requires the righteousness that comes from God. And if you don't, if you're kind of here, then God's a liar because he said you're righteous in Christ. So by faith, he says, I am pleased with my son. I am pleased with you. Already, this is true in Christ. You are exactly like. And to say, maybe I'm here, though, is actually the most prideful thing you could ever think. When I think that, that's the most arrogant, prideful thing I could ever think. I'm here. I'm not quite here. I am dead in my sin, and I need the righteousness of Christ and not a second place. And in Christ, he's offered me grace to say, here it is. And so, I have arrived. Now, how do we understand then until we all attain to the measure of Christ then? Well, again, the not yet. And I like to illustrate it this way with people. Think of a fish. What do fish do? They swim, and they swim. And, and they eat some food. You get a fish that's flopped up on shore. Is it no longer a fish? It's a fish. It's a miserable fish. It's not doing fishy things. It needs to get back into the water and be a fish, right? And this is, this is how I like to explain sanctification. You have already arrived in Christ. Now act like it. Now, now grow until you attain to the measure, right? And so that's what Paul is saying here. It's actually something you can go for because you already have it. So when the goal of every heartbeat in the church, including the leadership, is this, the measure of Christ, and something happens, and one is protection. Look at verse 14. He says, here's why this is so important, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. And look at this again. Paul includes himself again. He says, we, again. The Apostle Paul is including himself, saying, I need you as a church so I don't become childish. I need you, the Apostle Paul. The problem is we all, including myself, tend to be too confident in ourselves, don't we? I mean, if anyone had the chance to do that, wasn't it Paul? And isn't it interesting that he had a thorn given to him that kept him humble? Because he was prone, like the rest of us, to be way too confident in himself. And Paul says, no, 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 I'm like a child. And, and what's a child? Well, a child is someone that is weak and can be overtaken easily, that even though they think they know what they're doing, they don't. Run off on the highway, you hear it all the time. I'm just gonna, I know what I'm doing. I can tie my own shoes and I can run across this highway. Right? That's what children do, and, and they get swept away easy. And so Paul says, We're like children. And so this is why we need verse 15. We need others to speak, verse 15. We need each other for this. And he says, verse 15 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speak the truth. In love, and maybe you think, well, I'm doing that. I speak the truth all the time. I would say I'm a master at this with my kids. I speak the truth. Tell them, you're anxious. It's true. Look how anxious you are. You're all miserable and all worried, like you're anxious. Stop being anxious. You're impatient. Be more patient. You're angry. You shouldn't be so angry. You're too passive. You should be more aggressive. Or you're too aggressive and you should be more passive. You eat too much or you don't eat enough. And you're apathetic. Tell the truth all the time. And by the way, your clothes don't match. It's true. But I do that in love. I mean, I told them, the clothes don't match. But I said it lovingly. It's like, your clothes don't match. Love you. You're loved. You look awful. Right? <laughs> and so we say, I know truth and love. I get that. You know, and actually I'm more of a truth person. I'm kind of a, a truth person. And you think, yeah, that's cool. I mean, I kind of err more on the side of love. I'm more of a lovey person. I love hugs. Illustratively, I don't love hugs, just so you know. But maybe you're like that. You're just like, I just, I just hug people and things just get better. What is Paul saying? Well, here's what Paul is saying. Truth and love is what? You know what that is? This is the gospel. Speaking the truth in love, who's the truth? Christ. Love God. Seen through Christ. So when we, speak the tr the truth, when we speak the truth in love, we're speaking the gospel. And so for those that aren't saved, that's where we're going to again and again and again and again. We're gonna, in truth. How do I get them to see Christ for salvation? And if they are saved, we're reminding them of this again. I want you to see again who your God is. 
I want you to see again the truth of who he is and what he's done. And you need to know that I struggle seeing it all the time. I'm going to do this in love. In fact, this is so hard, but you need to hear it again. And I want you again to see. I want you to increase in your trust, in your fear, in your worship, in your awe, and your love of Christ. That's the truth. That's speaking the truth in love. He is the head. Look at verse 16. He says, From whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Very similar to chapter 2, 20 to 21, where he speaks of Christ as the cornerstone that joins the whole structure together. He goes on to say, When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what Paul is doing in closing is he's, he's kind of wrapping it up now. And he's like, just for summary, here's how this works, right? And he's saying there, kind of, there needs to be more a growing coordination. I think of my kids. How do we know our kids are growing? Well, one, my oldest boy I call Gigantor because he's massive. Um, but how do we know it? You don't really see all of a sudden, whoa, he's, he's that high. But how do we know? When were the times that we said, man, you must be growing? Do you know when they were? When you call them for supper, and they're like, boof, 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 and they get to the top of the stairs, and they're crawling. Why? They can't walk, apparently. Their head says, supper, i got to get there, but their feet and their arms and everything aren't coordinated. They can't make their body get there, right? And this happens all the time when we say, man, you must be growing, right? There's, there's, there's a lack of coordination be- between what the head wants to do and what your body's trying to do. Well, this is what's happening here. Our goal is that together we would be coordinated with the head who is Christ. And that one day we would then finally measure up to be like him fully. And so if we're going to help each other measure up as a church, then we need to counsel Christ. We need to speak of the head. We need to teach Christ, preach Christ, and counsel Christ. So here's what needs to happen is is our counsel and, and, and the things that you speak about, right, need to be more of him. You think about, if you were to journal your conversation today, if you were to journal that today, and then the next day, and then the next day, conversations either with people around you, or even in your own heart, in your own head, what would it look like? And what I mean by that is, who's the main character? Is it more about you and less about Christ? Is it all about you? And there really is no God in your story. If, if we're going to measure, attain to the measurement of Christ, then it needs to be less about us and more about him. It needs to be less about our failures, though they are true, but it needs to be less about them and it needs to be quickly to Christ's victories. It needs to be less about our plans and more about his glory. It needs to be less about the temporary and more about the eternal. It needs to be less about uncertainty and more about the promises of Christ. It needs to be less about our wants and more about who he is. It needs to be less about our worries and more about his presence. And the list goes on and on. It it needs to be less about us and more about him. So who's the main character in your story? Who is it more about? Who is it less about? He's gifted us together so that we can do this. It's incredible. It's an incredible thing that we are able to build each other up, that we are able to speak of Christ, that we are able to grow in this way. This is, it's it's unthinkable. It's an incredible gift. It, It sets us apart from any other group out there. There's other people that meet like this. There is only one church. Right? And every local church is particular. And it is amazing. And so when Christ gives good gifts to the church, he gives it for a reason. We've looked at, uh, ultimately the reason is, is that he would build it up so that we'd measure up to Christ. Can I just say uh, this in closing, is that that's really hard. <clears throat> it is really hard for me to be interested in others. Okay, did you know that? It is really hard for me sometimes to be here 
uh, even on a Sunday. It is really hard for me not to be easily offended. It's really hard for me not to make everything about me. It's really hard for me not to isolate myself. Like, really hard. It's really hard not to become full of hatred and bitterness. It is incredibly difficult. I'm pretty good at putting on a good front. I'm pretty good at smiling when I need to. I'm pretty good at being polite. I'm pretty good at getting along. I do not a bad job at not spilling the apple cart, so to speak. But do you know what I can't do at all? I can't build up others in Christ. I cannot follow Christ as my head. You know what I can't do is I can't point others to Christ in truth and love. That is too amazing for me to do. I can't do it. I can't. I have to be gifted by God to do that. I literally have to be gifted by God to be able to do that. You and I need to be gifted by God to do that. This is not something that you just do. Christ descended and he ascended to give gifts so that we can do the unthinkable and we can build each other up in Christ. That we can speak of Christ to one another. That we can grow with one another. That we can follow the head who is Christ. It's amazing. Praise God for grace. He does this that we would be set up to serve him, that we'd be built up in him, and that we'd one day measure up to be like him, and we will continue to do this until that's the case. It's all from him. It's all for him. It's all for his glory. Uh, amen. Amen. And if you're, if you're thinking right now, your life is not for that, then you can't let that go, that thought. You need to maybe, A, um, repent of your sin as living your own life and come to Christ for salvation. Or B, you need to repent for forgetting this, relying on your own strength, and becoming the main character of your story. But he has gifted us, and it's for his glory, it's for a good reason. And when he gives good gifts, amen, it's for a good reason.